finished with it yet? Finished. And so in, in thinking about this and thinking about all the stuff that, that's happening and who we are, and as I mentioned last week, the, our responsibility is, is to, to be saved, to get saved, to serve Jesus Christ, commit our, our, um, our soul, our lives to him. And then at that point, then you can begin to make um, good decisions, all that kind of stuff. I've had people question me on this when it talks about that, and I'm going to read this later, when the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is what brings you, is who brings you truth. Well, then that means you can't have truth. I've had people ask me this. You can't have truth then um, unless, the, unless the Holy Spirit gives it to you. So I have to be a Christian to have truth. Well, those are two different questions. But yes, I believe that all truth comes from God, that there is no truth that comes from Satan, that that is, that is straight from Scripture. And so if we're going to be people of truth, you've got to have that come from God. Now, you can do that extremely passively, which is um, the, kind of the cultural, societal understanding of godly truth that gets watered down and changed and all that kind of stuff. Or you can just go straight to God's source, which is the Bible, and be a person of truth. You have that choice. And you can let the Holy Spirit show you those kind of things. So, so understand that first and foremost in our relationship um, <clears throat> with God, we have to put him first. We have to establish in our lives. God has got over everything, but, but he's not got over your life unless you submit to that in faith. He's still God. He's still sovereign. You're still going to stand before him someday because he's got over your life even if you don't actively participate that in that in your limited humanity. But this, this earthly life that we're given, you have, you, you have the opportunity to submit to God, to, to surrender to him. In Genesis chapter 3, again, everything that, that you, you always have to start, in my thinking, you always start with Genesis and say, okay, this is what God did. And then you go to the end of the book and scattering throughout, but you go to Revelation, you say, this is where God is taking us. And everything between um, about Genesis 3 and, and, the, and uh, the end of Revelation is the putting it back together, redemption, salvation plan that God had, uh, has for us as human beings. And the cross is the, like the center focus of that. But, but when we see, well, what is it supposed to look like when we look in the end of the story and we see this stuff, that means that's what it was supposed to look like in the beginning too. And oftentimes those do, do, those do match up and all the stuff in the middle is the uh, broken parts. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, <clears throat> The uh, sentence that changed everything, everything in humanity, all of humanity was changed in this moment. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened. You know, th this is... <clears throat> this is um, this is played out every single day. Every single day in all of our lives, this is played out. We have a choice. Do we choose to be convinced by Satan? Do we choose to let Satan tell us that this is good for us or this is better or this, this don't, you know, no one will notice? That's a, that's a big lie that Satan tells people all the time, and we still buy into it. We buy into it. Every, every generation buys into all this stuff all over again, and we have to, we have to see it. You know, the idea that if you don't if you uh, don't study history, you learn to repeat it. It's amazing how even we can study the macro, but we don't seem to study the, the daily stuff. We don't seem to study the moral stuff, the people stuff, like we're supposed to. And we get convinced, oh, this is a good idea, this, this issue, this sin, or this, this direction. This is a good idea. It's going to work out. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's sad that we, that we seem to 
I was, I was going to say let Satan convince, but I think we're convincing ourselves. Satan has given us the opportunity, but we convince ourselves that this is a good idea. And so at that moment, their eyes were open and suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed the fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breeze were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Now, I think this is just an amazing thing. It's one of those where I wish I could be standing there and see this or understand this or know this, that God comes and walks in the garden. Now, now think about this. The, the, the earth is a very, very tiny dot on the landscape of creation. It's a very tiny thing. And God limits himself in some way that I don't understand. I, I can kind of almost understand it better when Jesus does the same thing in human flesh because I know the kind of the basic size and shape of humanity. And so Jesus says, this is how I'm going to limit myself. How, how did this look when God did this? We have no idea. But he limits himself somehow and he steps onto this planet so he can hang out with Adam and Eve. This, this is the heart of God. He wanted to hang out with Adam and Eve. Now, again, we see at the end of the story in Revelation that, that, that uh, humanity, that the church, is going to marry Jesus Christ. If you belong to Jesus, you're going to marry him. He's the groom. We're the bride. And so knowing that God doesn't change, he didn't create a new story he is, is trying to put the original story back together through the redemptive plan of the cross. And that means Adam and Eve were created by God to be the bride of Jesus. That's what the end of the story is. So that's actually what the beginning of the story. But it got messed up in such a way that it's difficult for us to understand how that was supposed to happen then. Because we don't have all of those details. We have the she was convinced moment. And that changes the whole entire story. And so God comes walking uh, in the garden to hang out with them as he did. And then the Lord called to the man, where are you? Now, I, I really believe that that's, that question right there, God saying this to humanity, that, I believe that this is the thesis statement for the entire Bible. I think that that is, that's why there's more than just, see, it could have been, and then Adam and Eve sinned, and God said, okay, you're done, lights out, and it would have been a very short story. The reason that the story continues for thousands of years, and we have an entire book, New Testament, Old Testament, that tells us this story is because God's desire and heart is to reach out to humanity that had rejected him. And so God said, asked the question, where are you? And obviously he knows. He knows what they did. He knows everything. But it's the, it's the fact that God comes back to humanity and, and continues, by the way, he does this still today for you and I. He's constantly coming back to humanity and saying, where are you? That's the, that's the Bible right there. That's the point of this thing. That Jesus wants to know us, to have a relationship with us. For me to know him, for him, him to have a closeness with me, it's the same for all of us. And so God says, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. Have you, ever, have you ever fallen into the trap to think that you can hide stuff from God? I have. I've, I've hidden stuff from God. I, I mean, I thought I was hiding stuff from God. Say it that way. You can't hide anything from God. You can't even hide your, your most intimate thoughts from God. You, you can from Satan, by the way, just, so, just for informational purposes. Satan cannot read your mind. He's not, he's not all-knowing. He, he can't. You can hide stuff from Satan. We seem to let every, Satan know everything and try to hide stuff from God. He says, um, 
I was afraid, so I hid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman. See, I think, I think this is a, a major thing going on in society. I think it continues to grow in society. I, think it, I mean, it's always been an issue. Obviously, it was an issue then. So it's kind of been around a while. But this idea that, you know, Adam was standing right there. He let Eve do all the stuff. He never stood up, never said anything. And he had plenty of opportunities to do that. This, I, I saw a great quote the other day that said, um, nobody likes mascu- masculine, toxic masculinity until Russia invades your country. Right? And then all of a sudden we like manly men that carry guns. All of a sudden that becomes a thing. Our society has been, has been trying to emasculate men and take manhood away from men for decades and decades. And, and this, is, this is something that just is a big deal for me. I think men should almost have to relearn, but need to learn how to be men. They need to grow up being taught how to be men, to take responsibility, to shoulder stuff, to work hard, to get out there and get in front. Adam's responsibility, the same as my responsibility now. If the, if the, if the certain come, serpent comes up to, to tempt my wife, well, it, she'll take off running, so it doesn't matter. But, but I'm supposed to stand in the gap and say, no. You talk to me. You don't have access to my wife. Talk to me. When Satan tries to, to tempt her, he's got to talk to me. Then, then if she eats the apple, then I, I say apple. It's not apple. I think it's a mango. So it, if, she, if she eats that, then she starts to hand it to me. I'm supposed to say, no, this is a mistake. We've got to fix this right now. And then not blame her for everything. Men, that's, that's sad. That's a wimpy man. First, stand up. And second, don't blame her. Take responsibility. We've lost that in society today. We're not teaching our boys how to be men. In fact, we're teaching them how to be very feminine, girlies. I know that's not popular, but that's reality. Teach boys to be men. Be men. We're missing that. And, and, and a lot of the problem, a lot of the problem here with Adam and Eve was Adam never stood up and said, Eve, you're wrong. Stop it. So we see where God takes and creates Adam and Eve, puts them in the garden. For what purpose? For relationship. What, what other purpose could there be? To have a bunch of these little things running around? That doesn't make sense. That hasn't gone well for God. It's because he wanted this relationship, and he wanted them to marry Jesus. That was the point. And that has to do with the royal priesthood and the, the um, uh, ruling and reigning, all of the stuff that Scripture says that we kind of we know, but we don't put it all together. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus. How? As the bride. So God does this, and then the last thing that we see God comes into the garden, and he's hanging out with them, and the last moments that he's hanging out with them, it's because they chose somebody else besides him. That's the last conversations they're having, is you chose Satan's plan over my plan. You chose all the good that I gave you, and you added bad to it. You added evil. You added sin to it. The heart of God, I I really believe the heart of God is, is broken over this. 
And the last thing that they do is choose. This is, this is the parable of the ten virgins. You've got all the ten virgins. Are, they, are, they are servants of God. They have oil in their lamps. In other words, the Holy Spirit is in their life. This is, part of the reason I say that is because there's a once saved, always saved mentality that I don't, it's not biblical, but it, gets, it keeps coming into the church. But this idea that, that they were all virgins set apart with hol- holiness to God. They all had oil in their lamps, but, and they were all ready for the, the bridegroom to come back. But then over time, five of them got their attention on something else. They, they chose something besides the groom. Lynn and I were, were apart for our engagement time. Basically, we got engaged and I left. I, I went to be a youth pastor in West Texas. So the, our entire engagement, we were away from each other, which I think was probably beneficial. But <laughs> somebody like, what does he mean? So, but here's the thing. We were separate. I could see me showing up back up in East Texas and saying, okay, the wedding is day after tomorrow. We're excited. She's like, um, who are you? This, this is what we do to Jesus. That's the, that's the parable of the ten virgins. All of this is designed for us to have a relationship with God. And, and they chose something besides God. Now, Luke chapter 22, this is, this is interesting because I think there's a perspective sometimes we don't process. I, I think we always look at this from our point of view um, singularly. But in, in Luke chapter 22, it says, Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual the Mount of Olives. The upstairs room is where they were having Passover together. What we're what we call Seder. We're going to have a Seder dinner um, the Wednesday before Passover um, in, in a few weeks. And so um, this is what Jesus done. Now this is he goes over the Mount of he goes over the Mount of Olives and, and down into the Garden of Gethsemane. And and I was thinking about this <clears throat> five or six years ago. Lynn and I went to Israel, and uh, and and through a through a, a situation. We were, we'd come over, we'd come down the hill that is the Mount of Olives, and we were coming down into the, the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, they were doing something that day, so we kind of got stuck there. Our, our little group of people got stuck just hanging out um, by the garden or in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can't walk in the original area because, you know, they're 1,000-year-old, 2,000-year-old trees, and so they don't let you over there. But we're sitting there beside it, and this little band comes walking up because they're doing a little parade over to some holy site, um, those, are, those are fairly um, often in Israel. And so we're waiting for this little band, this little parade, and this little group of people to pass on through. As they're doing that, we're just sitting there. And so I'm, I'm sitting on the ground um, facing down the hill from Garden of Gethsemane down to the bottom and then up. And then there's the wall, the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And it's sitting there. And so we're sitting there for probably for a while. And, uh, and I just kept thinking to myself, this is, this is the last place that Jesus was just hanging out with his disciples. See, God created us to have a relationship with us. Jesus is supposed to be uh, marrying humanity, Adam and Eve, and they chose something else. Do you realize that Jesus had to wait 4,000 years to have another conversation face-to-face with his bride? He didn't, he didn't choose that. The bride chose that. The bride chose to push him away and say, I don't want that. I don't want that closeness. I'd rather have a relationship with the snake. That, I, would rather, I would rather eat a fruit 
Did, and, and I've had people say, well, it had to have been something more, much more significant than fruit. Because all of, all of eternity, all of humanity, everything, all of creation is changed because of a fruit. Guys, I've seen people throw their lives away on a lot less than a piece of fruit. We do it all the time. We think, oh, this is, this is good. And Jesus had to wait 4,000 years just to have a conversation with his bride again. Then he finally straps on human flesh, been waiting a long time. Has to grow up enough to realize what's going on. That was part of the story. And then, and then he starts getting it. Oh, yeah, I think I know who I am. I think I understand this. And for the first time in 4,000 years, he gets to hang out and talk and walk with his bride again. And what's the, what's, what is the response of the bride? This is why Jesus tells the story of the, of the ten virgins. Because the, the, the response of the bride is, yeah, he's all right. I mean, I don't really want to dedicate myself totally. Then they have a big parade for him. And everybody's shouting, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, all this stuff. And a week later, these same people are shouting, crucify him. So then we come back to the garden. It's not the same garden. But who knows? You know where the garden is? Every time I ask that, people are like, yeah, it's around the uh, Crescent Nile and all this. You don't know where the garden is. I don't know where the garden is. But Jesus comes back to the garden, and he's hanging out with the guys. For the last time again, he's going to have to leave human beings again. And we know he's going to have to wait at least 2,000 years this time. Maybe more. I mean, I think we're right on the, I think we're right at the end times. But who knows? Maybe it's another 2,000 years. And he has to wait for his bride. And then he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. And here's the sentence. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. That sentence, if we can get that sentence as Christians, that's our everyday sentence. That's our daily, all day long sentence. Lord, not my will, but yours. I, I pray this all the time, every day, is the sentence that John says, that I will decrease so that you will increase. That, that's, Lord, not my will. I, I voluntarily crawl upon the altar in Romans 12, and I sacrifice my existence to you so that I become a living, walking sacrifice. Because why? That's what our life is supposed to be about. Lord, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Have you ever thought about maybe, maybe the angel wouldn't have had to come and strengthen him if the people that are laying right beside him on the ground would have woke up and strengthened him. Just walked with him. Just, just, just stood with him and said, Jesus, you've taught me all this stuff. I get it. I'm yours. I'm all in, whatever you want. We see right before this where Peter is, Jesus, I'll go to death for you, but I need to take a nap first. That's, that's, this is what we do with Jesus. Again, I, I, I said this earlier, but I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of our church, where we're at, what we're doing with all of the people that are saying, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. I'm not just going to sit and talk. I'm going to do something. Many, many people in our church are now delegates. I'm, I'm amazed by that. I'm pumped up by that. Because why? 
You're the ones choosing who gets on the ballot. That's doing something. Linda came home pretty pumped up yesterday with the, um, after the uh, ladies' luncheon thing. There was uh, something like 80-something ladies here? <clears throat> and she said, and we just had fun. Like, yeah. We laughed. I'm like, did you talk about Jesus? <laughs> but the, no, I didn't say that. I would But, but, but this is the thing, doing something. Get, get out of your world, get out of your comfort zone, and do stuff. Do stuff for God. Do stuff for the kingdom. Get your Bible out and start saying, who am I in this thing? Not tell me stories, Lord, but who am I in these stories? Do stuff. He prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. The, the last moments of Jesus' life, hanging out with them again, and they're asleep. Why are you sleeping, he asked. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. I, I've, I've wondered how many times, what, how much does God take until finally he says enough is enough? You know what the answer to that? We don't know yet. He's, he's, he's been taking it from us forever. Horrible attitudes, wrong mentalities, selfishness, sin, all kinds of stuff. And he just keeps coming back and saying, where are you? Because why? That, that's the point of this. That's, if it wasn't that, why not just kill us and, and do something else? Just obliterate the earth. You realize the Lord could blink and the earth would be gone. But he keeps coming back. Romans chapter 5, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Christ was giving his life so that we could be saved, giving his blood so that we can be saved. He was dying for the people that were nailing him to the cross. Think about that. He was dying for them, for you and for me. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus has made us friends of God. We're gonna, we've got difficult times ahead of us in this country. It's, um, it's not going good. Things are crashing around our ears every day. But you're, some of you are making these decisions. I'm going to step out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I, I, I've been having conversations also with some of you. I'm, I won't tell this stuff, but where God is really doing some major changing in your life. That... that you're, you're surrendering yourself to God in ways you haven't before. Guys, that's the key. That's, that's what we've got to be shooting for. But here's what happens is then you go back to work the next day, right? You go into life, and you, and you have to deal with the same people or circumstances or whatever. Well, let me show you something in 2 Kings because I believe that this is as applicable today as it was when it was written. I think it still happens exactly like this. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 12. This is, the background is Elisha has been... 
um, Elijah, the king of Aram has been trying to attack the Israelites, and Elisha has been telling the Israelites, because God tells Elisha, well, the army's going to go over here. So he tells the Israelites, King Aram's army's going to go over here. And so they, they set up, and they ambush him and do all kinds of stuff. And then the, the king's like, ah, we'll do this over here. And God says, they're going over here. And so the king's getting upset at this, <laughs> rightfully so. And, uh, and so he, this is where he jumps into. It's not us, my lord. That is, that's telling Elisha this stuff. It's not us, one of the officers replied. Elisha the prophet in Israel tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. God is telling Elisha every single thing you're doing. Even the very private conversations, God's telling Elisha this stuff. So this very intelligent king says, go and find out where he is. How is that the conclusion you're going to come to? God's telling him everything you're saying. Well, we'll trap him. Okay. The king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elisha is at Dothan. So one night, the king of army, the, the king of Aram, so in the night, because he's sneaking. Something's wrong with this guy. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning, he went outside. There were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Now, this, this servant has been walking with Elisha through all of this stuff. He has seen God supernaturally speak to him. Plus a lot of other miracles, by the way. This is just one thing. God's been doing all kinds of supernatural stuff through Elisha. And so this guy's walking along with him that he's been telling every detail of the king's war efforts and everything, which means I would perceive here that this means... And Elisha knew the army was coming. He knew that he didn't go anywhere. But somehow, when the servant gets up and walks outside that morning and he sees all the soldiers, he gets scared. He's not, he's not seeing the way that Elisha is seeing. He hasn't experienced the same way that Elisha has been experiencing. He hasn't let this show him how big God is and his faith and confidence in God. He gets scared when he walks out. He should have walked out the door, seen all the soldiers, and say, it's about to go down. Then just turn around and walked away. You know, he he didn't have to, he shouldn't have been scared at this. It doesn't make sense that he's scared. Unless he's not got his eyes on the Lord like he's supposed to. So he says, oh, sir, what will we do now? Don't be afraid, Elisha said, for there are more on our side than on theirs. You know, at that moment, he was like, one, two. <laughs> then Elisha prayed. You guys, I've been praying this. I've been praying this so much for our church and for all of you, all of us in our church. And specifically, if you, for some of you that are trying to step out and, and, and trust God for something and see that God is leading you and guiding you. Oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. If you can just see, what did he see? The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Let me say this. All I can do is say it. I believe the scripture is showing us this, but you've got to decide whether you let this get into your spirit. I believe that when you walk into work, that you are surrounded by horses and chariots of fire. Assuming you're surrendered to God, assuming you're serving God. If you're living a halfway Christian existence that Scripture talks about so much, this is not for you. This is not applicable. You've got to be serving God. You've got to be committed to him. You've got to be those five virgins that are looking for his coming. But if you are, you can walk in there with confidence. I am surrounded by the armies of God. 
And, and, and what that says is, so who can do anything? Who has power against that? Nobody. You walk into work. You walk into your community. You walk into to your home. The same thing in the middle of your home. You are surrounded by the armies of God. Chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced toward Elijah, he prayed, O oh Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. I'm not going to read the rest of the story. It even gets better after this. It's amazing. I've prayed that before, by the way. Somebody is harassing me, and I say, God, just strike them blind. He's not done it yet. But I won't quit asking because I believe in a big God. John chapter 14. So here's, here's where it comes to. As we know that the armies of God surround us, we know that God is big. We know that he's going to take care of us. But we see, Scripture says in the last days, that there'll be a form of godliness. He's talking about the church. There'll be a form of godliness, but it won't be power. We've talked about this some over the last few weeks, that we've got major parts of the church in America that are preaching that the Holy Spirit power is not for today, that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today, that the supernatural things of the, of the Scripture are not for today, that an Acts chapter 2 experience is not for us today. And then we wonder why Colorado is trying to vote abortion laws in to contradict Roe versus Wade. You know what that tells me? That tells me the church in Colorado has a form of godliness, but not enough power to actually do something. We can talk it, we can put out our flyers, and we can stand against all the bad stuff, but apparently the church is not more powerful in Colorado than Satan is. I mean, think about what I'm saying. If that was different, wouldn't we be able to do something about this? Couldn't we change some of this stuff? Human trafficking is, is crazy in Colorado. I-25 I, I is a major corridor for human trafficking right through Colorado. Where's the power of the church? Not the words, not our church services, not our organizations and our leadership and all this stuff. Where is the power that can look Satan in the face and say, you are not an authority. My God's an authority. And by the way, there are places around the planet that do exist like this. That the church does have power and that, the, that society is not in charge. That the godly people run the, the show. But that's not the case. Definitely in Colorado. Maybe other places in the United States more. But not in Colorado. We've been losing battles like crazy. That whole sex education thing that was passed. That's, that's, that's one of the most horrible things I've ever seen in legislation. And, I, and I've said this, and, and I know people disagree with this, but I think the people that instituted that and the people that are instituting it regularly, I think they're pedophiles and they should be put in jail for that. When you're teaching five-year-olds perversion at that level, you should be put in jail for it. That's pedophilia. But we don't have enough power. We can't do it. Guys, the church has got to get on their face before God and say, God, give me power. Not just knowledge, but empower that knowledge. I want to Acts chapter 2 empowerment. I want to Acts chapter 4 empowerment. Look at what he says, John 14. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. I believe that truth comes from God, lies come from Satan. And I've had people say, well, what if I'm not a Christian? Does that mean I still can, can have truth? You cannot be a Christian and have truth, but, it, but the reason you can have truth as a non-Christian is because it has already been built into our country and built upon the Word of God and built in our society. It's, it's a God thing that was started from the beginning. You take that off the table, and no, you cannot arrive at truth without God. It's impossible. You have to have God. He is truth. Satan is the liar. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him and still doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and then he's talking about Acts 2 experience and later he will be in you. Holy Spirit needs to be in us, empowering us all day long, every day, constantly asking, Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me. Paul said that. Constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. But we, we work enough on our on our knowledge and our feeling in church. That we know the stuff, we know the rules, we know the, the scripture. But the Holy Spirit is the one who activates that scripture. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings it to life within us. It's alive regardless. Holy Spirit brings it alive in you. Holy Spirit brings this revelation and this power, discernment, understanding, compassion, desire to see the lost saved. That's what the Holy Spirit does with us. And power against the, the powers of hell. And that's what we're missing. We're desperately missing. Why don't you stand with me? I think two things. Jesus is protecting us at all times. And Jesus sent the Holy Spirit for you and I to have power. As I, I, I pray, I pray, I pray that our eyes will be open and we can see the power and the magnificence of God and that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to need it. Some of you guys that are delegates now, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. Some of you guys that are going to work and there's a friend at work that's going through something, you need the Holy Spirit. You, you, I could name 50 other things. You need the Holy Spirit. Here's a big one. The people that are around you every day need you to need the Holy Spirit because they, they, they don't have hope. They need you to have empowerment of the Holy Spirit to care enough to tell them about Jesus. They just don't know it. So I'd like us to pray those two things. Jesus, you be my God. Above everything, you be my God. And then the second thing is fill me with your Holy Spirit. Just fill me with your Holy Spirit. Kind of jealous of the disciples. They, Jesus breathed on them. Well, let Jesus breathe on you right now and receive the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. Jesus, you're God. You are so big, so amazing. You're God. I'm not God. I need you to be my God desperately. Every day, God over my mind, my heart, my steps. God, when I open the Bible, God, when I talk to somebody. So make me yours. And Jesus, I ask you to fill me with your spirit. Breathe on me right now. Jesus, breathe on every single one of us in this room. Lord, we want to we be filled with your spirit. 
We want to be empowered with your spirit. We so need this more than we even know that we need it. Breathe on us. Fill me with your spirit. Empower me. Empower me. For you guys that are comfortable with this, just begin to pray in the spirit. You say, this is new to me. You try it too. Just pray in the spirit. Just like Acts 2, just pray in the spirit. Just like Acts 4, God gave them boldness by filling them with the Holy Spirit. Just pray in the spirit. Holy Spirit, I need power tomorrow. I need power I need power to walk into what's going on in life. I need power for my family. I need power. I need power to tell somebody about you. I need power to say no to sin. I don't want to be convinced by Satan. I need power in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for us as a church, as a body. God, I believe you've got some amazing things ahead. I know you do. Lord, you bring about your will. Do the stuff. Do the stuff that you've called us to. Do that in our lives. Empower us to do that. Make it happen. We pray your will in our church as you've already written it in heaven. We thank you. Thank you for the next step and the next step. God, you're big. We thank you. In the name of Jesus. God, anoint us tomorrow. And we're going to witness to somebody tomorrow. God, put that in our heart right now. We're going to witness to somebody tomorrow. I'm going to do it. God, empower us. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity, I believe it, to tell somebody about Jesus. Do the best you can. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. Guys, don't hold this in. Don't hide it. Tell somebody about Jesus, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So get to know Jeff out there, um, missionary to Israel. And um, also, I think still Greg probably still here. You can get to talk to him, pick his brain. Guys, we'll see you Wednesday night for baptism. If you know somebody that's, that wants to get baptized, Even if they go to another church, let them know. Come and we'll baptize them. Sound good? We'll see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your balmy afternoon.